Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We're going to focus on verses 36 through verse 50. Hey, you all know what this week is. I hope you do, guys. It's a week when you better probably spend some money on some flowers, some candy, maybe, uh, maybe a good meal somewhere. You at least need to spend some money on a card, right? As we move uh, to Friday, we uh, come upon that day called Valentine's Day when we are to demonstrate our love for our spouse. Uh, we're to show our love. Uh, for that one that we are in relationship with, it, it's kind of like expected, right? You got to do this. Now, I know sometimes the candy's not always the best. It's okay. As a matter of fact, our office will be open the Monday after that Friday, and if you didn't like the candy you received, all you got to do is bring it by, and needy staff members will consume it for you, okay? You can do that. But love. Love is something, love is in the air. Love is something that will be talked about this week. And what I want to do today is talk to you about love, but maybe frame it a little bit differently. Not necessarily the relational romantic love that is celebrated this week, but rather the love that we can celebrate each and every day as we think about the one who has loved us, as we get to celebrate a relationship with Jesus himself. And I want to frame it, obviously, around the scripture as we always do. As we look at Luke chapter 7, we're told about a woman that Jesus describes as loving much. She loved much. And it is a great expression of her love for Christ and really her heart for what God had done for her. Now, I want you to see, again, Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. This is how Dr. Luke gives it to us, okay? He says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Now, stop there for a moment. Think about how exciting it must be to eat with a Pharisee. Let's say a Pharisee would ask you over to their house. A Pharisee would say, I want you to come and eat with me. How excited would you be? Hey, let me ask this question. Can we be raw and honest this morning? How many times does somebody ask you over and you say, oh man, this is going to be a tough evening? Some of you? Some of you? Just a... You know, they want us to come over, but you know, it's probably going to be kind of difficult, you know, this and this. You know, going to a Pharisee's house has got to be kind of like going to a preacher's house. I mean, none of you just want to go to a preacher's house, right? I mean, does that sound fun? Yeah, really? No, come on, folks. Does it really sound fun? When I was in Zachary, Louisiana... I was teaching a Sunday school class there at First Baptist, and I heard a guy named Josh Hunt, who was with the Sunday school, uh, obviously Sunday school development and all of that, and he would talk about small groups, and he would say that in order to build your Sunday school, what you needed to do was to give your Friday nights to Jesus. Give your Friday nights to Jesus. And what do you mean by that? He meant that you need to purposely ask people over to your house especially on Friday nights in your Sunday school. So Leslie and I decided we're going to do this. 
So what we did is we invited two different couples over to our house like a bunch of Friday nights in a row. I mean, it went on for quite a while. And it was awesome. People would come to the house. But those people would be so like, just like, are you kidding me? We got to go to the preacher's house. One time, Leslie, you'll remember, one of the ladies came in and we were eating and everything was, was going real well. And she finally looked and she said, hey, I got to admit something. Now, she was one who would tell everything. You meet those kind of people in the church? They have no filter. You know, they just like, whatever comes to their mind, whatever, they'll, they'll tell you. I don't think about it, I just say it. Sometimes you want to say, would you please start thinking? You know, but she said, we were coming over here and my husband looked and said, what are we doing going to the preacher's house? And she said, well, he invited us. Yeah, but what are we going to do? Is this like some Bible study he's inviting us over? We've got to study the Bible because we're in the preacher's house. Well, you know, we do do other things than just study the Bible at the preacher's house, right? We do just eat and enjoy life and all that kind of stuff as well. But I was thinking about that, thinking about that guy and his perception. Here, Jesus is invited to the Pharisee. The Pharisees aren't fun. Can you imagine a Pharisee? And a Pharisee has been out to get Jesus. If you've looked at Luke chapter 5, when Jesus healed the paralytic, remember the Pharisees were there trying to trip him up. But Jesus accepts the invitation to the Pharisee's house. Now, the Pharisee will, is not necessarily the main actor in this story. I would suggest to you that he is the key target in this story. But he's not necessarily the main character. We're told in verse 37, behold. Notice the way Luke does this. Here Jesus is, he's eating at the Pharisee's house, and of course it would have been a big banquet table, and back then you would have stayed a long time. You probably would have talked about theological issues, in particular as this Pharisee, who we come to find out his name Simon, is trying to gauge the new rabbi. He's trying to hear what this new rabbi says, evaluate, and probably be very critical of this new individual from Nazareth. So they're, they're around the table. And again, they would not have had the seats like we do today. You don't have tables in this time. I mean, you have tables, but you don't have chairs in this time. So basically, there had been a cushion and there had been a reclining position that Jesus would have been in, his head toward the table, his feet away from the table. And it says, Behold, in the midst of all of this, verse 37, a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. So in the midst of all of this banqueting at the Pharisee's house, there's this woman that is there. Now some of you probably think, how did she get there? How in the world is she standing around the table? How is she standing right behind Jesus? Now, the culture was obviously different back then, right? So when you had people over, you would invite them, but you didn't necessarily shut the door. People knew that a banquet was going on, and in order to be hospitable, you were, you were welcoming anybody. 
They might come in, some might would eat, some might would just stand around as this individual would, especially when you're having theological conversations, especially when the Pharisee is talking to Jesus and people might want to hear Jesus' answer. And this woman finds out that Jesus is down at Simon's house. Maybe she had gone to check in the synagogue or checked in other places, and she found out that Jesus was going to be at the Pharisee's house. So she comes down, and she's just standing kind of against the wall. The Bible says that she is a sinner, a sinner. Now, understand, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Luke is painting a picture of this woman like that she is not the one that had been invited to the Pharisee's house. The Pharisee would not invite such individual of ill repute, individual of such character. Most likely, this woman was a prostitute. Most likely. The scripture says she was, she was a sinner. And she's standing around. And, and you can imagine, here she walks in. She sees this uh, banquet going on and all the theological discussions. But what does she do? She sets her eyes on Jesus and she makes her way around to where she is right by him. She's right by Jesus. And she begins to weep. She begins to cry. Now, I'm sure Simon was getting a little bit annoyed about this interruption. He's there to talk to Jesus about theological issues. He wants to talk to him about the law. He wants to talk to him about all these different things according to God's word. And this woman is standing behind Jesus and she's crying. Obviously, uncontrollably, she is weeping. And before you know it, she is at Jesus' feet. And she is wiping, she is wiping his feet. She is kissing his feet. She is pouring her fragrant perfume out on his feet. Why would this woman do such? Why would this woman come and express herself so toward Jesus? Well, let, let's go on and see what Jesus said. In verse 39, it says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. In other words, he thought in his mind. He didn't say this out loud, but he thought in his mind, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. So the Pharisee was like, If Jesus really were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this was. This woman was a sinner, and to allow her to touch him made him impure, unclean. And Jesus answered and said to him, now he didn't say it out loud, but Jesus knew what he was thinking. Jesus always knows what you're thinking. He always knows your reflections. Always. He knows that some of you have already checked out and you're thinking about the roast in the oven right now. He knows that. He knows everything about us. He looks over at Simon. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. <laughs> Simon said, teacher, say it. And then Jesus gives a parable. He says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? 
So Jesus said there's this parable. Let's talk about these two guys, these two individuals. One, he owes 500 denarii. Now, in the New Testament time, you were paid basically a denarius for each day work, each day's work. 500 denarii means 500 days of work. That's a lot. Can you imagine just a minute? Try to figure out what you make maybe in a day. And then you would take that and you would multiply it by 500. So you've got a year plus salary you're talking about that is being owed. Then there's the 50, which is, well, not quite two months worth of salary. And he says, Let, let's say that one, one of these days that the guy that is owed the money sends a little note in the mail and says, hey, your debt has been paid. Don't worry about it. You, you don't have to pay. Hey, just a minute. Let's say that somehow you got in the mail uh, tomorrow a note that said your house had been paid off. Anybody going to do a praise Jesus dance? <laughs> Let's say tomorrow you get something in the mail that says, hey, your vehicles that you've been paying on, they've been taken care of. You are scot-free now. You don't have to pay any more. Those of you who have had medical debt, and maybe it's run up, and all of a sudden you get, and you don't have to pay anything. Can you imagine? Jesus said, think about it. These who have 500, those who have 50, both of their debts canceled. Uh, I, I love the language that's used because basically the, the language is grace had been applied. The grace, they had been doubled graced in so many ways. That grace had been applied to their bill. There was no more debt. Jesus said, if you were to take those two people... Who do you think would probably be the happiest? Well, the one that owed the most, Simon, verse 43, said. I suppose, I suppose, get this, because he doesn't really want to admit this, because he can kind of see where Jesus is going. Jesus is leading him into a hole that he doesn't want to go down. And Simon says, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And then Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. You have rightly judged. And then in verse 47, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So I give you all that story to tell you what? To tell you this. She loved much because she was loved much. I want you to hear this. This woman loved much. Why did she love much? It's because she was loved much. That's what Jesus just said. Jesus just said, the reason she loves me so much is she knows I have loved her. That's the reason she loved me so much. That's the reason she expressed it. Hey, isn't this a biblical principle? 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says what? We love him because he first loved us. Right? The reason we love Jesus is because Jesus Christ has loved us so much. And he stepped out and he showed that initiative before we could ever really love him like we should. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
The reason we can love him so much is because he's loved us so much. That's the only reason. The reason we can have affection for him is because before we were even saved, he looked into our lives, he saw who we were, and he still loved us. How do I know it? I know it because of what Jesus has done for us. You ask me how I know it? Well, I can tell you the Bible tells me so. That's the reason I know that Jesus loves me. But also because when I read what the Bible tells me, it says that God has acted on my behalf to do something I could not do for myself. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have. And there's nothing we could do to extricate ourselves, to somehow free ourselves. But God loved us to send Jesus for us. To send Jesus to walk on this earth, to take the initiative, and to pay the sacrifice. To pay the debt for us. I want you to see that I believe that this woman had already received forgiveness even before she encounters Jesus here in this place. I think that's what brought her to this place. You say, how do, how do you see that? Where do you see that? Well, in verse 47, again, it says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Now, those of you who are English majors, you look at that English text, and you see that's a present tense verb, right? And it is in the English but in the original language, he says, your sins have been forgiven. Have been forgiven. And I know, I admitted last week, I was kind of under the influence of the flu last week, but I still admitted some things. And what did I admit? I admitted I'm a nerd. I am. I love the tense of these verbs. What does it mean, have been forgiven? In the original language, perfect tense means this. Your sins have been forgiven in the past, and it, they continue to have, that forgiveness continues to have a result in your life even right now. In other words, you have been forgiven, and there are abiding consequences in your life. He says that in verse 47. Actually, it is the same language in verse 48, the same verb, the same tense that says, Your sins have been forgiven. Let me tell you, she loved much because she had been forgiven much. See, I think this is where the Lord ought to shake us just a little bit. You and I need to remember how much we've been forgiven. Now some of you say, well, I feel like I've, I've just 50 denarii about my day. No, 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 no. Well, Brother Reggie, I'm not a in the same category as this, as this prostitute, as this woman, let me tell you that when sin entered into your heart and into your life, it condemned you just as it did all of those of us who have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us stood under condemnation. Understand, everybody in this place deserves to go to hell itself. But God loved us. And he forgave us. Friends, family, if, you, if I were to challenge you just today to write down some of the sins that you've struggled with in your life, 
fewer just to write some of those down. It could be pride. It could be unforgiveness. It could be sexual immorality. It could be all kinds of stuff that you have dealt with. Listen, when Jesus comes into your life and he saves you, he forgives you of all those things. He wipes those things clean. What Paul says in the book of Colossians is he takes all of these charges that are against you and he nails them to the cross. Remember. Remember from whence you have come. Remember the distance between your lostness and now your salvation. And think about how God has forgiven you of your sins. She loved much. Great love emanates from great forgiveness. If you've been forgiven much, it's going to be easy for you to love him. If you recognize what God has done in your heart and life, it's not hard to love Christ. The debt has been cleaned. The debt has been dismissed. Hey, this is what I love about this passage as well, is that Jesus had shown his love to the woman. But don't miss this. Jesus also loved the Pharisee. How do I know that? He went to his house. He went to his house. Now, I know the Pharisees are those he is going to come into conflict with. He's going to confront them. Obviously, he's going to do that. But he still loves the Pharisee. And the deal is, the Pharisee has fallen short of the glory of God, too. He just can't see it. He just can't see it. The woman, she knew what she had done. She recognized it. She fell before the Lord Jesus. The Pharisee is the one that needs to see this and hear this so that he will come to the same place. Probably going to get in trouble this morning, but I'll just say this. There are probably more of us in here that can identify with a Pharisee than we can the woman. But you and I need to understand that God loves the Pharisee and he wants to transform the Pharisee just like he does the sinful woman. Because the Pharisee is sinful as well. And there are those. Hey, there are those. I believe Nicodemus. I believe Joseph of Arimathea. I believe there are those religious leaders that actually come to follow Jesus because he loved them. And Jesus is willing to come down to your house and talk to you and visit with you. He is... He is willing to come down and to convict you. You see, she loved much because she was loved much. And then just her unfettered worship. I, I just love this. Jeremy, I love this unfettered type of worship she has before Jesus. She worships him. And she worshiped him much because he was worth much. She worshipped him. Now, again, what does she do? So, she finds her place by Jesus. And then the Bible says, well, look at it again. It says in verse uh, 37, 
that she had brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears. She began to wash his feet with her tears. The word wash means to rain, like it's the same. So like her, her tears rained down. It was like a rain cloud had just burst. Um, actually, what I love is the way Luther describes this. Lu- Luther says this is heart water coming forth. Heart water that is pouring forth. And she is washing his feet. Now, I don't know about you, but feet... I don't want to come in contact with other people's feet. I'm driving down the road, and I look up, and one of my kids just put their foot in that little place right by me. No, uh uh-uh. No, 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 no. No, no. I don't care if you got a sock on or not. No. Nasty. Don't touch me. Don't get close to me with feet. Can you imagine the feet of the New Testament? They're walking around everywhere with like sandals on at the best. There's dirt. There's filth. Dirty. Dirty feet. It doesn't matter. This woman gets down and she begins to wash his feet with her tears. And the Bible says not only with her tears, she's wiping them with the hair of her head. This is a big deal. Because she's breaking cultural norms. She's breaking customs. One, she showed up at the Pharisee's house, okay? I mean, she should have known she wasn't going to be invited to the Pharisee's house. But she still came. And then she gets down and she starts touching nasty feet. And then she starts wiping them off with her hair. In the New Testament, if a woman allowed her hair to come down into public, there was shame that was brought upon her and all of the family. As a matter of fact, according to what I've read, husbands could even divorce their wives because the wife had allowed her hair to come down in public. It's crazy. And yet, here, she didn't care. She didn't care. All she wanted to do was show her love and her adoration and her worship of Jesus. So she began to wipe his feet with her hair. And she began to kiss his, oh, kiss, kiss his feet. That word kissed is the same word used in Luke 15 for the father who sees his prodigal son to come back and he falls on him and he like embraces him and he just continues to kiss. And the language that's used here is like a continual action. She continues to wash. She continues to wipe. She continues to kiss. She holds on to Jesus' feet and she anoints him with the fragrant oil, the perfume. See, his ladies Back then, basically what they would do is they would have a flask. Sometimes they would wear it around their neck. Uh, They found thousands of these types of flasks. And basically the ladies would keep their Chanel number five right there. Uh, They would, you know, you got, it's pretty precious too. Because I mean, you just don't find this in the backwoods of Galilee. You got to go into the mall up in Jerusalem to be able to find these kinds of things. And anyway, there's the perfume that she has. And she breaks that flask, that alabaster flask. And she begins to, again, anoint his feet. 
This is not the same occasion, by the way, that you find described in Matthew and in Mark and in John. It's not the same. This happens in Galilee. This is much earlier in Jesus' life. But still, there are the similarities of worship, of where she is willing to go against the customs, and she goes against any type of cost to her personally to worship him. She didn't, no offense, Jeremy, no offense to you, Zach. She didn't have to have a worship leader to get her in the mood to worship Jesus. She didn't have to have a preacher get up, get up and give a great motivational pep talk in order to worship Jesus. As a matter of fact, she didn't even wait for the big gathering of people together that were their intent to worship Jesus. She just found Jesus and she said, I want to pour myself out before him because he is worth it. She loved much because she was loved much and she worshiped much because he was worth much. What is worship? As a matter of fact, the word worship comes from that old English worthship. In other words, when you come before Jesus and you worship him fully, it is because you are saying you are worth it, Jesus. Everything about you is worth it. You deserve everything that we have. And when we come into this place, we ought to fall before him. We ought to worship him. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't care who else is in this place. I can find Jesus and I can worship him no matter what's being sung, what's being played. I'm thankful for good music, but thanks be to God, I'm more thankful that his presence comes to reside with us here when two or three are gathered. You and I need to understand that. It doesn't matter what other people say. Look, I know Jody's going to talk about me when he leaves this place. Jody Adams is a critical spirit. He just is. But if God calls me to put my hands up and to worship him, I'm going to put my hands up and I'm going to worship him. You don't have to worship with your hands up. It may be on the floor. It may be bowed down. This woman, this woman here, she just got before Jesus and she said, I don't care who else is around. I want to show him how much I love him. He's worth it. And he's worth every good gift that we bring. John Piper said, The lowliest aspect of Jesus is infinitely more precious than the highest gift of men. He's worth anything and everything we could give him. I thought about that this week. Here she comes and she brings this very expensive fragrance. She breaks it. Oh, look, verses 44 through 46, Jesus turned to the woman. So he looks at her, and he says, this, this is kind of interesting. This is kind of like, I've got, a, well, I just call it, Ainsley does this to us all the time. She'll be talking to you, but she'll be looking at somebody else. It's kind of hard to focus, isn't it? Yeah, Jody, I'm talking back to you again. Here Jesus is. She, he's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. He said, do you see this woman? I entered in your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them 
with the hair of her head. In other words, hey, Simon, you weren't quite hospitable to me when I walked in. Just saying, just saying. You can talk about her all day long, but you didn't offer to simply just wash my feet or have anybody wash my feet. You gave me no kiss, which would have been the cultural norm of the day. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Why was this? Because the Pharisee didn't see the worth of Jesus like the woman had seen. And when you and I have been forgiven and we see who he truly is, oh, he's truly God. Because he knows what they're thinking. Because he is able to forgive sins, just as you'll see. What, in verse 49, they'll say, who is this again? Who, is he, who even forgives sin? Yeah, because he's God. When you see his worth, you are willing to pour out yourself and to pour out whatever gift comes. Again, I struggle with this this week because I don't know about you all, uh, but I got my uh, contribution statement in the mail. That way I can do whatever I need to with uh, my taxes and stuff. And that's cool. That's all. That's great. But I look at that and I say, God, is this the best I could have done? God, you didn't call me just to love you in a 10% way. You called me to give myself to you. How can I demonstrate? Again, not a debtor's ethic. Some years ago, I was challenged with that terminology of being careful about having a debtor's ethic. A debtor's ethic is this. You think you can pay Jesus back. You can never pay Jesus back. I don't give back to him so that I can pay him back. I don't worship him because I want to pay him back. We worship him. We love him because he first loved us and he has done things for us that we could never imagine. It is just a heart of gratitude and worship. But oh, how we ought to be willing to break the things in our lives so that we can show true worship before him. Ann Ortland said, she, she broke this? She anointed him? How, how shocking. How controversial. Was everybody else doing it? Was this a vase or flask-breaking party that she had come to? No. She did it all by herself. What happened was the obvious. All the contents were forever released. She could never hug her precious her precious perfume to herself again. The need for Christians everywhere. Nobody is exempt, by the way. The need is for everybody to be broken. The vase has to be smashed. Christians have to let the life out. It will fill the room with sweetness and the congregation with all the broken shards mingling together for the first time. Folks, when we come here, we need to break open the flask so that the perfume... So that that perfume will fill this place in a praise and worship to Jesus. I want to leave you with this question. The question that Jesus asked Simon in verse 44. Do you see this woman? Do you see her? It's almost like Jesus said, hey, you don't think I know her? 
Oh, I know her. I know who she is. I know what she's been forgiven of. I know she loved much. Simon, I want you to know her. I want you to see her. I want you to recognize who she is. Because when you see who she is, you can truly see who you are. Do you see this woman? Folks, do you see this woman? How does this challenge us in our love and in our worship of the only one that could do anything for us? The God-man Jesus. Are we willing, are we willing to give it all? Are we willing to love much because of the love that he has given for us? Listen to his word. Look at this woman and see what Jesus would challenge and convict us with today as we pray. Father, we come to you and, oh God, we can't even begin to say thank you in an appropriate manner. God, it's, it's overwhelming. Because every one of us, every one of us in this place, we have baggage, we have sins, we have guilt, we've had all kinds of things in our lives. And if we went down just listing some of them, just in our private list, Lord, we could recount so many ways in which we've fallen short. God, you still loved us. You knew who we were and you saved us. And you cleansed us and you canceled the sin debt. May we never get over that. But may we always love you with the fire in our bones and determination in our step. And God, may you allow us just to come to worship you, not even just in this place, even this week as we go throughout our lives. Maybe it's a moment to pull aside and just say, God, thank you and worship you in spirit and in truth just on our own. But may you hear our hearts as we proclaim collectively that you are worth it. You are worth everything and much more that we would offer you. Now help us, Lord. Even through this moment of commitment, help us to love you much. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?